Good morning, church. Welcome to the Middletown Seventh Adventist Church live streaming from the historical district in Middletown, Kentucky. Um, yes, it feels different. Uh, I want to welcome you back to this practical series from the book of Daniel, Staying Sane in an Insane World. You know, when I planned this in December, I did not know that this world will go this insane. But here we are. Here we are. And we have learned from uh, Daniel, from uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, we learned from, uh, yeah, from the prophet Daniel. We know from Nebuchadnezzar himself. Uh, last week we learned from the three young men. And today we're going to learn from Belshazzar. Uh, but before we do so, I wanted to uh, review a little bit with you for those of you who missed or were not here before. Daniel 1, as you know it by now, it's not necessarily about food. It is, and it's always been, an attitude of consecration to the God we serve and worship. In Daniel 1.8, in fact, this little verse right there is the one that sets the tone for the entire book. In Daniel 1.8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Food was one thing, drink was another. What else can defile us in this insane world other than coronavirus? What we watch, TV computer, phones, social media, what we read, you know, reading has the capability of molding our minds, changing the way we think and defile us, right? How about what we listen? Music, talk shows, maybe even preachers. Can what we listen defile us? Certainly so. How about what we do or what we say? Can behaviors defile us? Certainly they can. So from Daniel 1, we learn that what's most important to stay sane in an insane world is an attitude of consecration. Exactly what Chris was talking about with that mold, with that piece of clay. Put everything away that would defile you, that would stand between you and the Lord. When you do so, like in Daniel 1, God will literally do miracles for you. Daniel 2 principles, principle was watch for God. And anytime I say watch for God, it reminds me of the wristband that we give kids at VBS. And we encourage them to, to ask how God works in their lives. We encourage them to look for things that we take for granted. Uh, like God shows to us through a bird or an animal or acts of kindness. When was the last time you saw God at work in your life and around you? In Daniel 2, we learned that God speaks to us in unexpected ways, at unexpected times, in unexpected places. That's God. Can you think of anything that God spoke to you this past week? As we went on with our series, we first went to Daniel 4 and then to Daniel 3. The principle we learned in Daniel 4 is stop, reflect, change. 
Yes, God does his part. We need to watch for God. How about pausing from this face past life and look at myself, look at ourselves? Maybe this all scare with coronavirus is an opportunity to do so. We've, we've got used to this fast-paced fast life. Go, go, go. And it's really inconvenient to stop. <laughs> and we now have been given time to reflect. Socrates, or Socrates, I should say, he said this, the unexamined life is not worth living. What is the direction of your life? Do you know the direction of your life? Do you know what God created you to be? And do you know what God created you for? What is your calling? What is your purpose in life? And in order to truly, honestly, find and have a soul-searching inventory, we first need to ask God to purify our hearts. David says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The principle we learn in Daniel chapter 4 is stop, reflect, and change what needs to be changed. Otherwise, you and I find ourselves living this short life, not enjoying it, and certainly missing on what God's, what God's purpose is for us. Last week, we focused on Daniel 3. How do you stay sane in this sane world? Do not conform to it, Apostle Paul tells us. The reality is this. By not conforming to this world, you get in conflict with pretty much everything around you. You stand out like a sore thumb. You are politically incorrect. You are opposed and alone, but you have peace. Peace not as the world gives, not as the world around you promises. You have inner peace with the only one who can give peace, the Prince of Peace, Christ Jesus. Do you want to have peace with the Prince of Peace? I'm sure you do. Today, we're going to learn from Belshazzar. Where do we find Belshazzar in the Bible? Well, obviously, we're, we're studying the book of Daniel. We find it, the story we find in it, his character comes in Daniel chapter 5. Here is the title of our message today, Staying Sane in an Insane World, Facing Reality. Not escaping it, but rather facing it. Let us pray once again. Gracious Father, as we come to open your word this morning, I really pray that you'll open our hearts and minds to see this principle, to learn it and apply it in our life. Lord, I pray that the Prince of Peace will come into this place and will come into our hearts Lord, thank you for how you have taken care of us. Even as we go through times of crisis, you have promised that you are with us. So today, I pray that you will be with us here and all those who are listening or watching. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Back in the day when I was third grade, due to lack of classroom space, we were alternating between morning and afternoon time going to school. What I'm saying is we had about 80 kids of the same age, so we had class A and class B. So I was in third grade. Third grade A will go to school in the morning from 8 to 12, and third uh, grade class B from 12 to 4. I was in the B class, in the afternoon class. And my class, my classmate just arrived at, uh, at school. Uh, we waited for our teacher to come in and to begin teaching. And uh, we waited for a few minutes. And then the morning teacher enters into the classroom, drunk. She could barely walk. She almost fell on one of the students. But she managed to grab the, the desk, and then she looked at her watch, and being confused, as all drunks are, she forgot she was substituting for the afternoon teacher. She must have thought we're the morning class, and she dismissed the class. And we were puzzled and confused, too. And she ordered us, she yelled at us, Get out! Go home! My mom was surprised, very surprised to see me home, not long after the morning students got home. Wow. Yeah. Later that year, the teacher was dismissed from teaching at our school. Did you know that 86.3% of people ages 18 or older reported that they drank alcohol at some point in their lifetime? 70% reported he drank in the past year. 55.3% drank in the past month. Did you know that 26.5% of people ages 18 or older reported they engaged in binge drinking? 6.6% reported that they engaged in heavy drinking in the past month. Did you know that in 2010... <clears throat> In 2010, alcohol misuse problems cost the United States $249 billion. Did you also know that nearly 88,000 people die annually from alcohol-related causes, making it the third leading preventable disease or cause of death in United States. Did you know that more than 10% of U.S. children live with a parent with alcohol problem? And did you know that in 2009, alcohol-related liver disease was the primary cause of almost one in three liver transplants in the U.S.? Did you know that by using alcohol, it increases the risk of cancer of the mouth, esophagus, pharynx, larynx, liver, and breast? These statistics come from the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholi uh, uh, Alcoholism. And this is the tragic reality. 
an increasingly heavy drinker often says he could stop whenever he chooses. He just never chooses to do so. Alcoholism is not a destination, but a progression, a long road of deterioration in which life continuously gets worse and worse. And now a reality check question. Knowing all this, the question is, why do people drink? Someone may say, because they're alcoholics. Well, and I ask, why are these people alcoholics? Because they don't know how to cope with the reality of life and they drink. Rather than facing reality, they try to escape it. Most alcoholics or recovering alcoholics will tell you that the reason they drink is because they cannot take the reality of their life. They, 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 they drink because they can't take it. They want to escape their pain and misery. And they drink to literally numb their pain, to forget reality, to escape it. And I'm asking, is there such a thing as escaping reality? Can you, can I escape reality? Only for a short time. To get drunk is a temporary escape from reality. Notice the modifier, the adjective, temporary. The truth is we can't escape reality. It is just a lie we tell ourselves. The reality is there. The pain and misery is still there. When we are drunk, we just shut ourselves in. We, in a sense, deny reality and indulge into a false reality altered or induced by the drug of our choice. And thus, for a few moments, we don't face reality. You may say, Pastor Marius... Have I just heard you say we in connection with the word or verb drunk? Yes. I used the first personal pronoun, plural personal pronoun, we, and we'll clarify this, what it means in our study today. Open with me your Bibles to Daniel chapter 5. What do we have in Daniel chapter 5? By the way, there are a lot of years between chapter 4, where we witness the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and verse 1 of chapter 5. Many years have passed. And this is the historical background of chapter 5. Nebuchadnezzar had been succeeded by a series of incompetent rulers. His son first did. The, the Evil Merodach was assassinated by his brother-in-law after only two years on the throne. The brother-in-law died four years later, but his minor son, literally a boy, reigned in his place. Conspirators had assassinated a boy king and appointed one themselves Nabonidus as his successor. 
Six years later, King Nabonidus had transferred his headquarters from Babylon to Tima in Arabia. See, Babylon is right there. He transferred it all the way down here in Tima. Why did he do so? Well, he had offered his devotions, his worship, not to Marduk, the top Babylonian god, but to sin, S-I-N. It's just like we call ourselves sinners, sin. It's amazing. That was the name of the, mood god, the moon god. Because Nabonidus did not worship Marduk and he worshiped sin, he became very, unpop very, very unpopular in Babylon. They went through a financial recession, and that left the capital in a state of disrepair. Due to these facts, Nabonidus became very unpopular to his own people. In the meantime, Cyrus the Great, the Persian king, had begun his astonishing rise to power. He had taken over media. See, he started right here. Then he took over media, and then he... Further his empire, although he took over Lydia, and uh, he became great. Nabonidus, being alarmed by this new superpower, comes from Tima and goes to the battle with the forces against Cyrus. And this is how unpopular he became. When he met the forces of Cyrus at Opis, just about 115 miles north of Babylon... His own people rebelled against him and they defected. So on October 10, 539 B.C., Nabonidus has surrendered Sipar, which is about 60 miles north of Babylon, with no fight. He just left south to a town called Borsipa. In that time, during that time, a military unit led by Darius or Darius the Mede went rapidly south and arrived at the walls of Babylon. And this is the reality of Babylon in Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. It is October 12, 539 B.C. Two days after the surrender of Sipar, the empire is virtually lost. Nabonidus is in hiding, and the enemy is at the gates and surrounding Babylon. That's the reality. The armies of the Medes and Persians conquered everything else but the capital, and now these powerful armies, numbered as the sand on the seashore, laid siege around the Babylon walls. Inside the city... Belshazzar, fully aware of what is going on and fully aware of the reality in his foolishness, decides to escape this reality. But can you, can I, can he escape reality? We just learned that we can't, but for a short while. In his foolishness, rather than preparing either for war or to, to, for a truce, you know, to negotiate with them, with the Medo-Persian army, Belshazzar throws the greatest party of his life. And possibly the greatest party Babylon ever had. Sure enough, he begins to drink. 
And as soon as alcohol began to numb his brain, as his reason abilities began to deteriorate, he orders to bring in the gold and silver vessels which his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. And he invited his, his lords, his wives, and his concubines, all the party attenders, to drink alcoholic, intoxicating drink from these sacred vessels. Why did I say earlier about escaping reality? Can you do it? For how long? Only temporarily. It does not take long for reality to catch up with us when we purposely escape from it. And when it does, it is terrible. The pain, the misery, the fear, it gets worse. Verse 4 of Daniel 5, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron, wood and stone. Did you catch that? Look at the screen. Did you notice those materials these gods were made of and their sequence? Gold, silver, bronze, iron. Where did we find such materials? Where did we find this sequence? Daniel chapter 2, it's the makeup, the image that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed in Daniel chapter 2. Were these kingdoms lasting? No. They got crushed by the stone cut out without hands and they disappeared forever. Well, knowing all of that, Belshazzar and his party worship and drink wine in honor of such gods that have no power. Notice again what happens in verse 5. In the same hour, the fingers of man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Now, how would you like to be in King Belshazzar's shoes? <laughs> Bible says in verse 5, then the king's countenance changed. And his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. Some commentators say that since he drank so much and the fear was so intense, his experience was much more embarrassing that we want to express it publicly. Wow. His escape from reality was not much lived, was it? What was written on the wall? Well, none of his people from his advisory committee knew. Either they were drunk or they didn't want to tell. When he desperately tries to make sense, Mervyn Maxwell says his voice sounded hollow, strange even to himself. At that point, the, king, the, the queen entered the hall. And since Belshazzar's wife were already present, the queen in this case must have been the queen mother. It is commonly agreed that this could have been one of Nebuchadnezzar's wife, wives. Her advice is to call Daniel. And as he enters that hall, the smell of the alcohol, the depravity and immorality that surrounded him, 
subsided all of a sudden. And though Daniel was in his 80s, we have no problem imagining his radiant appearance, his smoothness of his skin, the spring in his step, and the ring in his voice. What a contrast between Daniel and those around him. How thankful to God must he been that in his youth he has committed, he had committed himself to a healthy lifestyle and committed himself to not defile but worship God. See, Daniel omitted the customary salutation, O king, live forever. It wasn't necessary to say it. It was pointless in the light of Belshazzar's imminent death. But before he proceeds to read and give an interpretation of what was written on the wall, Daniel gives Belshazzar a quick sermon on how foolish Belshazzar has behaved and lived his life, considering that he knew the God of heaven from his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. And in bold and emphatic words, he rebuked Belshazzar's witnesses uh, wickedness this way. You, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, your heart, though you knew all this. The handwriting on the wall is still there, glowing like a neon sign. Mene, mene, tekel, and parsin. Daniel read it easily enough, slowly enough. Then he paused before giving the interpretation. It's judgment time. These words are in Aramaic, but they share some roots with the Babylonian language. They refer to units of weight that were used for money. Mina, mina, shekel, and half minas. Uh, it sounded like mina, mina, shekel, and half minas. A, a riddle that would, so, would sound in, in our modern-day America, dollar, dollar, penny, and half dollars. Kind of like that. Mene, he read, God numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Persians and the Medes. It is judgment time. Exactly what he was trying to escape, that's exactly where Belshazzar found himself when his temporary escape was over. You may say, Pastor Marius, wait a minute. I'm not escaping reality because I'm not, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't drink, so I'm not a drunk. What exactly does drunk mean in the context of this story and in the context of your spiritual life? What is the state of being drunk? It is an escape to a false or fake reality of the mind to alter the mood or the situation only temporarily. Have you ever tried to escape reality? 
temporarily. You and I may not be aware of this, but after going to the refrigerator three times to find something to eat, even though I'm not hungry, that may be an attempt to escape reality. What that happens, when that happens, I examine myself and I find that I'm either in pain, stress or distressed, or too excited about something. Checking my motives brings me back to reality. You know, they have Overeaters Anonymous for that, for people who are coping reality with food. Or ladies, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about men too. I'm going to leave them at the end. You have 365 pairs of shoes in your closet, or one for, for each day of the year. And you find yourself at the mall in a shoe store looking to buy a new pair of shoes. You might need to check your motives and see what's underlying there, right? You know, they also have Shopaholics Anonymous, coping reality with more shopping. That's not just ladies, men do the same thing. Well, men, here I go. You have all you need, a loving wife, a safe car, a good house, and yet you find yourself working and working and more working. Workaholic. And the same principles apply for all our hang-ups. You may say, I don't have any of these things you mentioned, Pastor Marius. I'm perfectly fine. Have you found yourself in a position to influence or wanting to influence people where you want them to be or, or, or simply say manipulating? And become very frustrated when they don't follow your way? Could it be you try to escape reality by controlling other people? Or you may be so enmeshed in your, with your surroundings that you lose yourself in it. You don't know who you are without your mother or father. Or you don't know who you are, with, who you are without your spouse. You don't know who you are without your job or without your status or without your car. And the list goes on. Could it be you are codependent? By the way, codependence is the mother of all addictions, chemical and non-chemical based addictions. Being drunk is more than just escaping with the bottle. I met a person recently from whom I pray now who is addicted to sugar and cannot let go of it. In spite of the reality that doctors told them that if they keep doing this, it will kill them. Here is the problem. Everything we use to alter our situation, to escape reality as it is, is a form of drunkenness. Then how do we deal with the reality in a healthy way? I'm glad that we can step for just a couple of minutes into Daniel 6, since I won't be preaching next Sabbath, Dr. Ella Simmons We'll be preaching next Sabbath. See, when you deal with life in a healthy way, if you face 
reality the way it is. When you and I live in, as God wants us to live, those around you who are dealing with life by repeatedly escaping it, escaping reality and getting worse, they will become jealous, envious, or even hate you. In Daniel 6, Daniel is a new political context, but his lifestyle never changed. And when the crisis comes, when he was intentionally pushed to escape reality, here is how he dealt with it. Daniel 6, verse 10 says, He went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open, Nothing to hide, nothing to fear. He said he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since his early days. My friends, that's how Daniel faced reality. He talked with God about it. That's the solution. Don't escape your reality, but rather talk to God about it. And I'll even go on from a counseling perspective. Talk with someone that you trust about it and pray about it. Pray. How many times a day did Daniel pray? Three times, right? How many times did he pray in a week? 21. How many times in a year? 1,095 times. And if he began this habit, think about it. I like numbers. If he began this, this, uh, this, this spiritual exercise since he was 16, 17, by his age, it would have been over close to 78,000. I calculated maybe 77, 745, but that's, you know. What if he started earlier, before he moved to Babylon? That number it's probably going over 100,000 times. And that's just the three times. I'm not, in, not including the praying when you go to bed, praying, you know, the blessing for your food. So the solution is don't escape reality, as bad as that may be, but rather talk to God about it. And how do you talk to God about it? Prayer. Prayer is the opening of our heart to God as to a friend. Not that it's necessary in order to make known to God our reality. He knows it. But in order to enable us to receive Him, prayer, Ellen White says in Steps to Christ, page 93, prayer does not bring God down to us, but brings us up to Him. It elevates our spiritual life. As I was preparing for this message and contemplating about my own life, you know, principle in <laughs> chapter 4 is reflect. Um, I realized that I'm guilty of escaping reality rather than trusting God all the way. I do good in one, some areas. I don't do good in some other areas of my life. I know I have to look at myself and my life in the days to come. And rather than escaping, I need to talk with God for whatever reality I encounter. I know he can see me through it. I realize also that this is the hardest thing anyone would do, to look at self. We don't want to do that. 
to examine my life. Socrates said, a, 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 a life, an unexamined life is not worth living. How do I live my life? Do I deal with life in a healthy way? Do I face or escape reality? Ellen White suggests a daily surrender prayer in the morning. I had this typed out and laminated on the side of my bed. Um, she suggests that we do this prayer every single morning. Take me, O Lord, as holy thine. I lay all my plans at thy feet. Use me today in thy service. Abide with me and let all my work be wrought indeed. You find that in Steps to Christ, page 70. Let us say it with David. Can we say this together as I close? It's Psalm 55, 16, 17. As for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Amen.